Welcome to Let Fear Bounce, everybody. This is Kim Langling, your host. I'm an author, freelance writer, public speaker, and of course, podcast host with you today on Let Fear Bounce. Today, I'm welcoming in my guest, John Reed from the United Kingdom. He is going to share his amazing journey of how he reaches out to the lonely. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, relax, and let's listen into the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host. Today, I have with me, coming to us from the United Kingdom, John Reed. He is the owner of a community interest company that specializes in delivering programs into the prison population with the objective of reducing loneliness and social isolation. He uses poetry, music, comedy, and chat to do this. And it's become very popular and can also be delivered via Zoom anywhere in the world. Loneliness is one of the main causes of anxiety and depression. And therefore, the recipients need not be inside prison. They could actually be living anywhere. So, John, thank you so much for for joining me today on Let Fear Bounce. And I'm really looking forward to hearing you talk a little bit more about loneliness and isolation, especially in the prison population, because you really don't hear about that very often. It's not a topic that's typically out in general conversation. So welcome, first off. And then how did you get into this program that you're doing? Well, Kim, it's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. I hope you can tell from my voice that this is a joy for me. I really enjoy meeting you. We've Uh, of course exchanged emails over the years but anyway it's lovely to be with you and delighted you're a few miles from me but nevertheless (laughs) we'll have have a chat Um, you asked me a very reasonable question and and nobody really uh, understands prisons and I don't know that I understand them as well as all that but um, what got me into prisons was the simple fact that I had uh, the good fortune to go on a training course to form my social enterprise And whilst on the training course, one of the ladies there said to me, John, you chat a bit, you know, Um, you should go into old folks' homes and tell them all about the war years and play them some music and have a good time, see if you can cheer them up. So we did. We went into a care home in Birmingham in the Midlands here, and uh, we had a great afternoon. You know, I had about 30 people, mainly ladies, some with dementia, some absolutely compass mentis. And we just had a lovely afternoon talking about the war years, talking about my mum and talking about anything that came into my head, really. And it was great. And uh, I started writing about it on Twitter. The next thing that happened, I had the governor, as we call them, I don't know what you call them in the States, but the boss man anyway, of Leicester Prison, again in the Midlands, who wrote to me and said that he wondered whether what I was talking about on Twitter Uh, would apply to his prison and would I like to go and meet with him and talk about it and of course I've not been in a prison so I was delighted to go somewhere new I went across to Leicester and I met with with the governor and he immediately took me on the wing as they call it which is the central area where all the bad boys are and we arranged to go back one Saturday morning provide a concert based on Elvis Presley's singing and for me to tell the story of Elvis's life alongside playing the music my wife, of course, was aghast at this. She thought this was the end of the world as she knew it <laughs> and, and asked me what my playlist would be. And I said, well, obviously, I can't go into prison without playing Jailhouse Rock. <laughs> at which point she told me, of course, she's a well-known expert on prisons, you know, not. 
<laughs> that if I went into prison and did this, there would be a riot. Uh, she couldn't have been more wrong, really, because when I played Jailhouse Rock, it was the funniest sight of some men who would be there serving very long sentences, um, dancing together and rocking the aisles and having the best time that they'd had for a long time. Uh, and the governor told me afterwards that, that, that this had cheered them all up, no end. It was absolutely wonderful. His only problem was that because he hadn't got a fat lot of money, because it was only a small prison, he thought I'd be better employed going to his friend's prison, which was Stafford Prison here in the UK. Some of your listeners might have heard of the guy, Rolf Harris, who was a very famous character in our TV world for many years, um, who finished up in Stafford Prison because Stafford Prison is 750 men. It's one of four in the UK that specialises in sex offenders. And Rolf Harris got uh, locked up for an offence. Anyway, cut long story short, I started going to Stafford on a regular basis. We started off with the concert for about 50 inmates, uh, residents, as I like to call them, and uh, a fair number of prison officers in the church inside the prison. And we did Elvis again and again. We had them laughing in the aisles and dancing and just having a great time. And I like to say that it's, it's me bringing a bit of the outside inside. And it just went really well. We've taken it from there, really. It's just continued. Um, of course, this last year with COVID has been, no one's been allowed in prison, least of all me. We've done a little bit of work with a local prison just to help them out a bit. But um, we're really waiting for the uh, opening up of society, if you like. These guys haven't had visitors, neither me nor anybody else, for a very long while. And mental health is a, a real serious problem. So there you go. That, that's the basis of it all. During lockdown, have you been able to do anything, you know, virtually with the prison or are they not set up to do that? No, we've done something virtually. Should I tell you what we've done? Sure. Yeah. OK, so within our prison system, we have a television company called Way Out TV that in normal times would provide education and help to the guys that are getting ready for release. A friend of mine who works at Leicester University uh, has an arts show every year uh, aimed at the prisons, namely Leicester and Stafford. But of course, this year it could only be done on Way Up TV. Now, Way Up TV goes to about 50 prisons on the UK base uh, and has about 39,000 prisoners, therefore, able to watch the programme. So I came up with the idea. She invited me to do a piece, which I did, and it was based on poetry. So what we did, I wrote some poetry. I'd been writing poetry for a while anyway, based on prison life. We sent four of these poems into a local prison. We then got some, some residents to read them and comment upon them, and then send the comments back to me. I then produced, through good old Zoom, a little two 10-minute videos of how I go about, uh, when, it, when the doors are open, how I go about teaching poetry in prison and using it as a tool, really, to, to get under the skin of the guys, to get them to trust me and respect me. And I do the same to them. And so that helps their mental health because they tend to think that nobody cares. And I, for one, do care. So the videos talked about my own poetry I then read one of the poems and I then read the responses that we got from the prisoners and from one of the prison officers. And this went out on uh, TV over the Christmas period on two different Sunday evenings. 
The whole series was a series of eight programs covering half an hour each Sunday evening. And it became so successful that they repeated the whole exercise. Um, and it's now, you know, halfway through its second showing. So um, the plan is that as soon as we can get back into prison, we're going to do exactly that and uh, do some more poetry with the men. I have, I have done a fair bit of it over the last year or so, but uh, it's not easy because a lot of these people have got mental health difficulties and you never really know when you're going to touch a, a soft spot. Sure. For example, the very, going back a bit, the very first one I ever did in, in Leicester Prison, when I told the story of Elvis, I got to 1958 when he went in the army. And I happened to mention to the lads there, you know, well, what were you doing in 1958? I said, I can tell you what I was doing. I was 10 years old. And uh, I started talking about my mum, who worked in the local school kitchen. And she used to serve me my dinner while I was at school every day and all that kind of stuff, you know. And one of the guys had to get up and leave. And, as I, and I thought I'd, I'd said something I shouldn't have done. On the way out, this guy was making himself a, a brew, a cup of tea. And he, he sort of cautioned me over and said, come here, John. And he was about six foot six tall. Uh, and I'm, I'm just about six foot. So I went across to him and smiling and hoping for the best. And all he said to me was, John, I'm really sorry I had to leave. He said, but when you started talking about your mum, it upset me. He said, and in here, I can't be seen to cry in front of the other men. However, the story is that while I've been in here, my mum has passed away. And I miss her every day. And I'm very sorry, but you touched a nerve. And of course, I apologised. No, no, he said. No, no, no. Don't apologise. It's not in that respect that I'm, I'm upset. He said, I was delighted. But I can't cry in front of the other men. And that's so classic man, isn't it? I cry in front of anybody, to be honest, Kim. But, but <laughs> if you say something upsets me, I'm going to cry. And I would for anybody. But that's just me. You know, I, I cry a bit. I'm right. sensitive. In that atmosphere, it's probably not good to show any kind of weakness. No, they don't. And, um, you know, I've been in rooms where I never, ever ask about the crime. I'm not in the least interested in what they've done. I said to one guy in a prison, I said, you know, for all I know, I said, I could be in a room full of a load of mass murderers. I said, I'd be none the wiser. And all he said was, well, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> so I just kind of looked around me as they're trying to work out which one it was. Right, right. You know, it would be not everyone could do what you do. And to be, I'm going to be very honest, I don't think I'm one who could go into a prison and especially a prison of filled with sex offenders. I think that would be very, I know that would be very difficult for me to do. Where did that passion of yours come from to, and I know that you had talked about you, had, you were invited into that initial, that first time, but your passion seemed to grow for that. How, explain to me, because I honestly, I'm having a hard time understanding it because I personally, I don't think I'd be able to do it. And I like to be very honest. I, I actually know I could not walk into a prison and Unfortunately, I would probably judge. How, how do you go in there and not? I know you might not know their crimes, but you know they're in there for sex offense. How, how is it that you can just block all of that out? 
my mission is to do with loneliness mm. and social isolation. And some of the men in there are in there for many years. Believe it or not, I have met in Stafford Prison the oldest prisoner that we have in any prison anywhere in the country. An old boy in a wheelchair who's losing his sight, losing his hearing. And if he were on the outside, you would have nothing but compassion for him. So the question becomes, why would we treat them any differently just because they're in a prison? You know, I have no interest in the crime, not the slightest. Mm. Where has it come from? I actually believe it initiated from my mum. You know, I'm looking now as I talk to you, a picture of my mum up on the, the side. It's behind the screen. I lost my mum five years ago. And I talk to her most days, you know, and mums always give advice to their boys. And, and she, she advises me and helps me and pushes me in the right direction. I suppose once I did the social enterprise course, it opened to my eyes to a sector of the market here that I'd never even knew existed. Mm -hmm. And when the more I go into prison and the more I meet these guys and the more I learn about them, the more I realise that they're you and me. Right. That's the, that's the problem. I, I don't mean that I'm a sex offender any more than you are. Of a type of person that would be in a prison. There is so much good in there. There are so many people that have learned the lesson of a lifetime and they will never go back. But the trouble is that the public hear about the few that hit the headlines that do a particularly terrible deed. I had a guy come up to me <laughs> uh, last year and he said, do you know me, John? He said, did you see me in the local paper? Because I, you know, I told him where I live. And I went, no, I didn't know. And he said, I'll headline news. He said, um, uh, it, it got me locked up, though. I said, what did you do? I never asked, what did you do? Because he was quite smiling. Right. Well, he said, I was doing 38 miles an hour in a 30 limit. And I said, well, hell's teeth, I've done that. I said, <laughs> All I got was a warning and I had to attend this course and spend a lot of money. And I got three points on my license, you know. No, he said, um, and it turned out that he was a local guy from my town that had gone across this particular crossroads on a hill. And as he drove across it at 38 miles an hour, and it was a 30 limit, a police car emerged from the side. He hit the police car and killed a policeman. You know, when I say it could happen to anybody, it, it could happen to anybody, couldn't yeah. it? Yes. And, and in many ways, a nicer bloke you couldn't wish to meet. So I don't believe that they're all bad. There are some terrible ones. And I know you've got your fair share in your jails over there. I can go on YouTube any night and read about people that have been put to death. I mean, thank God we haven't got that anymore. But in the criminal system you've got in the States, I, I would be delighted to talk to anybody that listens to this and get some head around how it all works because there are similarities and there are differences. Mm -hmm. And I believe we can all learn from each other. Um, but I don't have any trouble. I have two sons. They're both in their 40s. And when they knew where I was going and what I was doing, you know, the advice was being ever protective of dad. For God's sake, dad, what do you want to do that for? Just interest me, that's all. And it's never failed to interest me. And yeah. it, it's really, the mission really is doing something to help mental health. And I found something that I can do. And I feel the desire to help rather than anything else. But no, if you if you wandered around wondering what they'd all done, you'd go crazy. Well, and it's just you had mentioned that the one prison you go to is 
what generally sex offenders? Well, it's only sex offenders. Oh, it's yeah. only uh, sex offenders. I've been to um, many prisons in the UK, mm -hmm. um, but not on a regular basis. I travel yeah. around a bit. So you could meet people that have done anything. Oh, right, right, right. I, the I, one that gives me the regular work is, is a sex offenders prison, yeah. I'm on the other end of that spectrum. I am one who has been sexually assaulted. So that had a huge impact on my life. And I'm not judging. I'm just on being honest, saying I have a really hard time wrapping my brain around, I know that I could not walk into a prison like that and befriend anyone. And, and you that's, know why as well, I expect. And that's, you know, that's just being as honest as I can. Having said that, I absolutely love what you're doing. And that might sound contradictory. I love what you're doing and your, and your passion for your mission because loneliness and depression can lead to an awful lot of more problems for people. If they're gonna be re rehabilitated, these people, I mean, they're obviously in there for a reason, they do need, they do need to be recognized and remembered because they probably are put in there and they probably feel those people, men and women both, feel probably that they're forgotten and no one looks at them as humans anymore. They're just a prisoner. Yeah, and amongst other prisoners, you see, one of the reasons they have separate prisons is that other prisoners can't tolerate, tolerate them. They wouldn't be, you know, they would just beat them up. They are, the two that are demonized, if you like, within the system, are the sex offenders and the arsonists, people that have set fires to places, especially if it's involved a death, you know. Uh, I've never knowingly met an arsonist, but um, they, they are in there, certainly. Yeah, they're also they have many their own, they, ha they, they have their own code, their own moral code within the prison system. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I never feel threatened. You know, I sit in a room with 40 or 50 men and one female prison officer looking after them. Mm -hmm. And they all call her miss. And to them, she's a mum. But, I mean, she's younger than, than most of them, you know, in the bit I go in. Right. I also do family days. And a, a family day at the prison changed my viewpoint forever. Because I arrived in the visits hall uh, about half an hour before the, the visitors were due to arrive. And as I went into the hall, so about two dozen, perhaps a couple more than that, maybe men emerged from the cells into the visits room and they were allocated a particular spot. And I went round and shook hands and said hello to everybody like I always do. And I got chatting to this young lad and he, and he said, oh, my wife's coming today and she's bringing out a little one, he said, which I'm longing, he's, I've got another year to do, but I'm longing to get out because it's my little one that's special. And with that, the door opened, and this was Christmas time, 2019. In came a lady, the very first couple in was a lady, I don't know how old, but a little girl of about two in a most beautiful red dress. Mummy addressed her for Christmas, ran across the hall. Daddy's on the floor with his arms open. Little girl grabs him and gives him the biggest hug. And I had to look away because it moved me to tears. And yeah, I know he's done wrong. Of course he has. That's why he's there. But to think that he can't be rehabilitated is stupid. Now, I've met other people that you look at and, and you think, well, they're always going to be the same. You know, no amount of rehabilitation will ever make, they might make them uh, take hold of their, but maybe they're never going to be rehabilitated. Um, 
it, it is an extremely contentious issue. And I don't pretend to be an expert on the prison system because I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm just somebody that cares right. to go in and do something about it rather than sit back and say, well, I know, lock them all up, throw away the key. We're having none I of it. Truly, I truly believe that rehabilitation is certainly achievable um, for many. And I also think that for some, it, it may not be. And there might be a lot of underlying issues. There might be mental health issues involved in there, you know, that that might uh, stop them from being able to rehabilitate. And mm -hmm. then, then there are some people that are just truly evil. That's right. And that's life. It is exactly. And that's yeah, it's a shame. That's, that's, that's world, the way it is. Yeah. Worldwide. Doesn't matter what country you're in. No, no, it doesn't matter. Yep. Some are locked up and some are not. Right. Right. Exactly. I, what is your goal or what is it that you envision in you know, the next six months or a year from now being able to go into not only this prison, but others as well? Hopefully things will open up a bit for you more over there. But do you have any programs or certain things that you want to focus on? I know you say loneliness and depression. Do you bring that up with the with the residents that you're speaking with, or do you just provide the programs like the music and the poetry and things like that? I assume that the problem of loneliness and social isolation is prevalent and there. They're not going to own up to me. If I walked into a room and said, put your hand up if you're lonely, yeah. <laughs> no, no arms would go up. It just wouldn't. No, you're you know, right. If I walked in, I, I mean, you know, Kim, I'm 72 years of age. If I walk in and I say, Hey, listen, guys, I'm a little bit on the old side, but anyone here under 50 by any chance? <laughs> All the arms would go up. Yeah. And I would love that. And part of our training that we're getting now, you know, through yourselves, it leads me to do it differently. What would be my legacy, you may be asking? Well, at 72, I'm wanting to work till I'm 80. That's the goal. So I've got, uh, and my birthday's in April, so I'm 73 this April. So I've got seven and a little bit years left. I would like to develop what I do into something that others can do. And I would like to be able to walk away from it when I'm 80 with a degree of satisfaction that I've made a difference, that I've enabled others to find their voice, to take the initiative and do what I do. Because it's really not rocket science. You know, when you see me walking, picture this in your mind, Kim, and maybe all your listeners as well. Here am I. What colour is my hair? Sort of greying, isn't it, really? I wear my black trousers. I wear my white shirt, orange braces and a red bow tie. It's designed <laughs> that people take one look and go, ah, ha, ha, ha. That's funny. <laughs> Put a smile on people's faces. Right. And I always like to, to leave something with a smile, you know. The very first time I went into Stafford, I checked in at the gatehouse and the guy said, yes, who are you? I said, John Reed. He went, turned around to his mate, he went, Elvis is in the building. <laughs> <laughs> and it carried on from there. So we all have a good time. Now, are there other folks like you who do anything similar? I've never met one. Have you? No, honestly, I have not. I'm the oddball. I'm either completely nuts or I've actually touched on something here which is important. Now, I, I happen to believe I, the latter. I agree with you. I think it is important. And for whatever reason, you were given that mission in your heart to do. And I think it's, I think it's wonderful. What is it? Eight, 
less than eight years until you turn 80. Do you think or do you hope that maybe you might see, uh, meet someone down the line that might take over what you're doing now? I'd like to think so. Yeah, I'd like to think so. And preferably somebody that is currently on the inside. Somebody who, when I go into a prison, looks at what I do and thinks to themselves, hey, I could do that. When I'm released in one, two, three years, whatever, I wonder if he would teach me to do it. And I would love that. I would love to leave that legacy. Yeah, so I'm interested in speaking to anybody. Uh, that, that would be that would be amazing. That would be an amazing full circle. I get people, when I'm in there, I get people coming up to me as if I'm some sort of pop star. They put their arm around me and say, hey, John, that was great. I said, yeah, I enjoyed it as well. It was great fun, you know. And I don't always get it right. You know, I, I, so I'm going to play Elvis singing Blue Hawaii and then I'll put on, you know, a completely wrong track or something. Right. God, it's a but in the last year, we've been doing it over Zoom, um, not not into prison, but into care homes and places like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a particular place in my heart for a cerebral palsy group that I did yesterday, actually. Did an hour and a half on Zoom. They're all at home. I'm at home. We sit here and play whatever comes into my head. And they just love it. So, we, you know, we do a bit of Elvis, a bit of the big O, a bit of this, a bit of that. You seem to gravitate towards those that may not be noticed much. Yeah. Where did that come from? The cerebral palsy on the um, social enterprise training course I did that got me on this kick four years ago was a lady whose story only came out slowly. But her story was one that would turn the hearts of any woman. And uh, you might very well think that she'd be good on your uh, what we're doing now. Um, she had two, uh, she had a son and he was about eight or nine years old. She was pregnant. Well, at 29 weeks, it was discovered that the children inside needed to be coming out. You know, they were, they had to be born prematurely. Uh, she had Oscar and Noah. Noah lived for 27 hours and then she lost him. The next day, Oscar had a stroke, was left with cerebral palsy. So I got to know her on the training course and not the full story because she didn't shout it from the rooftops, but she is the loveliest person you could wish to meet. So she decided to do something about it and go back into the hospital and help others along the way that were going through the same journey. Then I started doing Santa Claus for my daughter-in-law at Christmas. <laughs> and she asked me, would I go into the hospital and be Santa for the children? And I said, yeah, of course I would. And so I went in with the full regalia and gave all the Christmas presents out this particular year, three years ago now, uh, and then went around the ward and met the parents. And of course the children are tiny and I love kids anyway, you know, I would do anything. So um, I went around and uh, gave out the presents and spoke to the parents and got my photograph with the babies lying there in their little cots. And, yeah. you know, I said to one lady, how old, how old is he now? Uh, I've forgotten the child's name now. Seb, Sebastian. How old is Seb now? She's always five weeks. I said, oh, uh, and what, uh, what age was he when he was born? She said he was born at 23 weeks gestation. So he's now 28 weeks. And he, uh, and he weighed, I think, about a bag of sugar, about two pounds. This was absolutely wonderful. So we took some pictures with it. And then I said, do you think we should make a video? And she said, oh, yes, please. I said, right, get your camera out there. So I spoke with Seb in his crib and she videoed it 
And at the end of it all, we were both in floods. It was just ridiculous. You know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've been doing it ever since on Zoom. And uh, this last Christmas just gone. Seb turned up. He's now three. Seb turned up with his mum and dad. Aww. He's absolutely beautiful baby. Of course, remembers nothing of it. And uh, so we all had another good cry because I'm just a sucker for kids, you know. But, and he um, was, and he was there. There he was. Three he years was old. there. Three years old. Yeah, they don't all survive from that point. Right. But um, this is the Birmingham Women's Hospital here in Birmingham, in England. Yeah. So I just get a buzz out of it, and she's become a good friend, and I'd do anything for her. I love. I love your passion for simply caring. You're just caring. And so many, at least it seems as if in this world, don't <laughs> or don't go out of their way to share that, I guess. Because oh. so many people are so in their own bubbles yeah. and don't think outside of that of just how many I mean, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people around this world, how they sit in darkness, they sit in loneliness, they suffer from anxiety, um, you know, those who are grieving, widows, widowers, you know, young children that may be in the foster care system or anything, you know, divorced people, single people, young single people no one likes to think about it because it's not it's not pleasant you know it's no. not it's not a fun topic that people like to think about and realize just how prevalent it is and i so i i really really appreciate what you do trying to ease some of that loneliness for people no matter at what part in their life what part on their journey of life that they're in you're doing that with a, a full caring heart. And I think that's amazing. And we need more of that in this world, I think. I've got to say to you that I get more pleasure doing this than I ever give to other people, I'm sure. I love what I do. It, it's something I wish I'd done 30 years ago, but it didn't occur to me. I was too busy making a living. I'm not a wealthy man, but, but money is irrelevant to me now. If somebody comes and says, do you want to do something? Yes, please. Put me down. I'll have some of that. Yes, please. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, money's not the point. You know, right. obviously, obviously, I have overheads. And when I go into prison, they pay me for going in. But that's not the reason for going. Right. I would go for free because it's good work to do. And, and so that's, I'm, I'm, that's part of the reason I started Let Fear Bounce, to share stories such as yours. And I, I always call them tossing those nuggets of goodness out there yeah. because it doesn't cost you a dime to be kind. That's right. Nothing at all. Yeah. But there are plenty out there who don't know how to do it, aren't there? The, yes, there are. So that's why we need to just keep keep shouting it out there and tossing those nuggets out there. And maybe maybe they'll land on some people that will open their eyes and say, huh, you know, maybe I, I could do something like that, too. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be right. <laughs> so let's continue to be nugget tossers of goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll drink to that. No trouble at all. I'll certainly drink to that. <laughs>
Well, thank you, John, so much for being with me on Let Fear Bounce. This has been truly enlightening and I've, I've enjoyed it, enjoyed it tremendously. And I can't wait to hear more of your journey in, in the future. In a few months, we need to connect back up because I want to hear what else is happening on your journey and if things have opened up over there, or if you've started any new programs or singing other things beside Elvis, I want to hear about it. <laughs> Elvis certainly left a legacy, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yes, he I, did. I've not been to his house, but I ought to go there really. So one thing, one thing I want to ask you before, before we leave, what is one thing that you could leave with our listeners that, that they could take away with them today on how they might just, you know, so simply be able to show someone some kindness to, to alleviate some loneliness, just something simple that people, in case they feel nervous about it. I know some people might feel nervous about doing something like that, but What's one little bit of advice that you would give to our listeners? This old fella in England is sending advice to America. So that's something, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think uh, the nugget, if, if it is a nugget, but what it comes from my heart, really. Be kind. Don't think ill of people. The problem with it is that because I always think people are kind and aren't ever going to hurt me, the problem is they do. So I have to be prepared to be hurt in return. But there will be people out there that will respond to kindness and respond to what you're trying to do. And I suppose at my ripe old age of 72, I'm, I'm now getting to the stage where I want a bit of spread a bit of kindness. I just want to live out my life and feel as if my legacy is something worth leaving behind. I have two sons that I'm very proud of and three stepdaughters. I'm, I'm married for the second time to the lovely Diane. What are we now? 37 years into this marriage. So it's not been, it's not been a five minute run. Right. But, <laughs> but that's another, that's another story that we shouldn't actually record one day. We'll talk about that one day. I love I that. Lo I love it, it hasn't been a five minute run. <laughs> I love it to bits. I love it to the, to the moon and back and uh, nothing's going to change now. And I don't think she would say any different, but um, yeah, so that that's what I'll leave you with today. Uh, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Now, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today on Let Fear Bounce. And we will definitely be having you on again. Have a wonderful day, John. <laughs>